Hey, what's up, guys? Pete Mundo here. Thanks for checking out the uh, Big 12 radio show that we flip into a podcast. Really appreciate that. And please do leave us a rating, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. In return, we'll send you a Heartland College Sports koozie. All you got to do is send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get the koozie in the mail for you. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy the show. Well, the Big 12 has a lot to be proud of heading into the 2019 season, but my goodness gracious, they should really be thumping their chest about the non-conference schedule. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to have you on board uh, each and every week. So I was doing what I typically like to do this time of year, which is look at the Big 12 schedule. What weeks are soft? What weeks do I have weddings that I hope don't interfere with massive Big 12 weekends? You know, you can't control that stuff, but such is life. I like to go down the list anyway. Um, And I was looking at the Big 12 non-conference schedule, then I crunched the numbers. The Big 12 is in great shape from a non-conference perspective, as 33% of the Big 12 games are against Power 5 opponents. That is second best in the Power 5 behind only the ACC, which has 36% of its non-conference games against Power 5 opponents. Meantime, the SEC has 27%. The Pac-12, 27%. And the Big 10, 24%. So there's the Big 12, by the way, with its nine conference games as well, sitting here and saying, hello, look at us over here. We have nine conference games we're playing, a true round robin, and... When you factor that in to the fact that they play on a percentage basis, the second most power five games in the country outside of conference play, you can make a really good argument that this is the toughest conference in America by that standpoint. I know you want to say, okay, well, the SEC's got Alabama. The ACC's got Clemson. That's that's all well and good. But the ACC plays eight conference games. Now, teams like Clemson do a good job scheduling powerful non-conference games. The Tigers this year play Texas A&M in Week 2, and then they end the season with South Carolina. I mean, that's that's tough. But gosh, the SEC non-conference feels like it becomes a bigger joke by the year, but they hide behind the shield of, hey man, we're the SEC. We are the mighty SEC. And our conference is so difficult. Oh, you wouldn't stand a chance if you came over here. You would not stand a chance. So, you know, we got to soften up the schedule. We can only play eight conference games. I mean, this should really be uniform across college football. But until that happens, uh, we're going to keep talking about it. Look at some of these non-conference schedules. It's just, it's unbelievable. Alabama. Duke. New Mexico State. Southern Miss, Western Carolina. Oh, baby, does that send chills up your spine, huh? Tigers, LSU. All right, they got the game at Texas. But outside of that, don't take it too tough on yourself, guys. Georgia State, Northwestern State, and Utah State. Wow. Wow, that's a toughie. Auburn, all right, open up, tough game against Oregon. Then it's Tulane. Kent State and Sanford. Wow. 
Woo! That'll, uh... That'll keep them uh, awake at night there at Auburn, right? And then how about Arkansas? <laughs> Portland State, Colorado State, San Jose State, and Western Kentucky. you got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me with these schedules in the SEC. Meantime, compare that to like West Virginia. West Virginia's got obviously a full non-conference game schedule here in the Big 12. And then non-conference-wise, two Power 5 programs from the ACC and the SEC in Missouri and NC State. And even their FCS game for West Virginia is against one of the best FCS programs in America in James Madison. That's a man's schedule right there. Now, I know oftentimes, you know, you schedule these Power 5 games years in advance, right? Like OU schedules the home-and-home with Ohio State. Impressive. Same thing with Tennessee. Now they've got UCLA. You know, who knew that UCLA would be in a massive rebuild with Chip Kelly when that game was scheduled? Uh, for OU, give them credit. I mean, they scheduled one of the, uh, you hate to say it, uh, because it hasn't been the case lately, but what has traditionally been one of the most quality programs in America. Unfortunately, UCLA's fallen on you know, some hard times the last bunch of years. But the Big 12 continues to make an effort, and they're playing around Robin, and they're playing nine conference games. The Big 12's got the best format in America when you talk about the scheduling. You have some quality Power 5 opponents in the first couple of weeks of the season, and then boom, it's right into conference play. Meantime, you have the SEC, and the SEC is out there bragging about the fact that, well, we play eight conference games because we're the SEC, and then they slip in that layup game in you know middle-late November right before rivalry week just happens to coincidentally work out that way, huh? It's funny how that works. So the Big 12 has done a much better job of, of branding itself the last couple of years since they went to the round robin, since they added the conference championship game, because they truly do have, as a whole, year in, year out, yes, some years may be different than others, but they have the formula for the most difficult conference champion in America. Once again, you want to point to Alabama, Clemson, ACC, SCC, whatever, that's fine, that's on you. But top to bottom, the formula that the Big 12 has with a true round robin, nine conference games, and then on top of that, quality Power 5 non-conference opponents and a championship game makes it the most difficult road. And I think the Big 12 could do an even better job of marketing this. They've gotten better. Bullsby's been pointing this out. You know, every game matters. That whole mantra, I get it. That's all well and good. But, man, every time, and the coaches, they got to take the mantle here as well. Every time the coaches take the podium and they find a chance to slip this in there, I don't care if it's in front of a a uh, after a practice in front of a couple of local beat reporters, or it's after a massive non-conference game in September or a conference game in October, November. They've got to hammer this point home because the nation needs to know it. And I hate to say it, but certain talking heads in the media, they're not going to be pumping this up. It's got to be done locally. It's got to be done at the grassroots level. And it will help the conference once people open up their eyes. Now, something else, um, as I was looking at the schedule, th there's a key stretch to me that is going to define this early part of the season for the Big 12. It's a stretch from Saturday, September 21st, when conference play starts, through Saturday, October 5th, a three-week window, where we're going to have a good idea who is going to be competing at the top of the Big 12. Now, I expect OU to be there. Um, but 
there's a couple of games I'm looking at here that I think will really give us an idea of, of who's going to be challenging OU at the top of this conference. Because you can make an argument, and I wrote about this on heartlandcollegesports.com, you can make an argument for five teams in the Big 12, that's half the conference, to reach the Big 12 championship game, if not win it. What other conference in America can you find half the teams where you can make a solid argument and solid case that they can get to the championship game? I don't think that exists in any other conference in America. But I could make it for OU, Iowa State, Texas, Baylor, and TCU. I could make the argument today. And we will as the uh, as the weeks go on and we get closer to the season kicking off. Not going to do it today, but we will do it here coming up in the next couple of weeks of shows. But um, I look at first off that weekend, September 21st, and Oklahoma State, Texas. If Texas is back, and I use air quotes because it's something we've been you know, debating for almost a decade now, you got to smoke Oklahoma State. They're going to be working in a new quarterback in Drew Brown or Spencer Sanders. You're going to be home, Big 12 opener. You've had a couple of weeks since the LSU game. You should be rested. These two teams have played very close games the last couple of years. You had the overtime game two years ago in Austin. You had the upset homecoming weekend last year in Stillwater. It's been a field goal game, it feels like, last couple of years. Well, it has been. So now, all right, Texas, if you're back, You've got to beat a team that most people think is a a bowl team-ish program right now this year in Oklahoma State. That's what you got to do. The following weekend, I'm looking at Iowa State Baylor. It's going to tell me a lot. Because if everything breaks right for both of these teams, they can be in Arlington at Jerry World playing for a Big 12 championship in early December. Both Baylor and Iowa State can make that case. You got Iowa State with the great defense, the best defensive mind in the uh, conference in John Heacock. I think the defensive player of the year in the Big 12 in Jaquan Bailey. You have a rising star, a quarterback in Brock Purdy. I know you've lost Hakeem Butler and you've lost David Montgomery, but a lot of skill position talent. And you have the best offensive line in Matt Campbell's tenure. At Baylor, Matt Rule took the jump at Temple, to 10 wins in his third season. He goes from 1 to 7 last year to maybe 10. Can you make the case? I think you can for Baylor. Most experienced, all these guys that were playing a couple of years ago as redshirt freshmen and true freshmen are now coming into their own. Uh, best defense he's had there in Waco since he got there. So there's a lot of reasons to say, hey, if things break right for Baylor, watch out, right? That Iowa State-Baylor game is one of the most underrated games, not just in the Big 12, but in the country in the month of September. Because one of these two teams is going to feel like, hey, that can be us. That party crasher, that party crasher can be us in the Big 12 championship game. And they'll be feeling that way at the end of September. And then the following week, October 5th, this three-week stretch is vitally important for the Big 12. We'll find out a lot during these three weeks. Uh, TCU at Iowa State. Similar reason. Two teams that think, hey, if, if if we really click this year, if we really make it happen, you know, TCU's saying, hey, ton of injuries last year. We got Ross Blacklock back on the defensive line. If we figure out that quarterback, heck, we got to a Big 12 championship game with Kenny Hill. I mean, no offense to Kenny Hill, but we got there with Kenny Hill, okay? So <laughs> if we can get a little something out of a Max Duggan, out of a Jalen Rogers, um, whoever it might be in the six-man quarterback race, We might be able to pull off some magic with the best secondary in the Big 12 Conference. 
And then also that weekend, Texas, West Virginia in Morgantown. It's a tough place to play. Neil Brown's going to be looking for a signature win uh, as the new head coach with the Mountaineers. It's going to be a, a wild crowd in Morgantown. You know, last year was a great game in Austin between these two teams. I was there when West Virginia pulled off, you know, that last second win. It was unbelievable. That bomb from Will Greer to Gary Jennings. I was sitting in the upper deck and I was uh, facing, I guess we were sitting behind the West Virginia offense. So the Jennings pass was downfield, down the right side or down the middle. I believe it was over the shoulder. Unbelievable, unbelievable moment. So that was a great game last year. This year, it's at Morgantown. It's always a tough place to play. It's a tough place to travel to. And once again, if Texas is truly back, they're really back, that's a game that they win and should win fairly easily in a year the Mountaineers are heading for a bit of a rebuild by their standards. So there's your look at the um, early season. I think that's the key three-week stretch to decide who's likely to challenge OU at the top of this conference. It's Saturday, September 21st to Saturday, October 5th. We'll have a great idea after that who's actually got a shot in this conference. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you joining us, being a part of the show. Uh, how much pressure is there for Lincoln Riley in Norman? I wrote about it. I want to talk about it coming up next right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Let's start this off by making it clear. There is no Big 12 coach that is on the hot seat this year. I mean, you turn over 40% of the conference. There is not a coach that is on the hot seat. We ranked the hottest seats in the Big 12 like a few weeks ago. I did that. And, you know, it made for interesting fodder. But the reality is on a scale of 1 to 10, I don't think I had any Big 12 coach above like a, a 4 or 5. That was the extent of it. But Lincoln Riley finds himself in a very interesting situation because the seat is always hot when you're the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. By the way, we've got forums that are uh, up they are on the site, and we appreciate uh, many of you who have joined us on there. They are free as well. Totally free to join our forums on heartlandcollegesports.com. All right, so last week I talked to Sam Mays, um, host of the franchise down in OKC in Tulsa, and he made a very good point about Lincoln Riley and the realities of the job that he holds. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, if you have a season where the fans don't think that you've accomplished what you should have accomplished, they're going to burn you down whether you played in three semifinal games the last four years or not. Um, that's the pressure of, of, uh, of playing, you know, power five blue blood football. And that's why dude makes $6 million a year. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on Lincoln Riley to perform this year. And after my conversation with Sam Mays, I got to thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? He's right. <laughs> He's 110% right. It's a very unique situation that Lincoln Riley finds himself in. Yes, he's gotten to two straight college football playoffs. Yes, he's produced two straight Heisman winners and two straight number one overall draft picks in the NFL. You don't take any of that away from him. But what makes this interesting for Lincoln Riley as he enters year three as a head coach is the fact that the defense has continued to get worse from a statistics perspective despite the fact that, you know, they've actually recruited pretty darn well on that side of the ball. 
So he hires Alex Grinch. And by the way, he got Alex Grinch by having to fire the brother of the guy who handed him the keys to one of the Maseratis in the college football world. Of course, in Mike Stoops. So that makes this thing all that more intriguing and you know all that more fascinating to follow. Lincoln Riley has to hit a home run on this hire because it's also uh, the, the biggest hire he's made. I mean, there haven't been many big hires he's had to make his first couple of years. Kept most of the guys from the uh, from the program that were there with Stoops. He added a couple of additions and subtractions. But this is his biggest hire because there's a strong case to make that with the offense this team has had and the system that Riley has built on that side of the ball, this team should have at the very least been competing for a national championship. And, you know, they will still, I imagine, be losing sleep in Norman over that Georgia game that, you know, ended up in double OT. And and frankly, OU should have won that game if Riley did not take his foot off the pedal in that semifinal a couple of years back. But that's now it's just water under the bridge. But, you know, still think about that game a lot. So now here's Riley. He's got his new defensive coordinator. He's got a quarterback likely in Jalen Hurts who has an enormous amount of potential, who did Quarterback, the Alabama Crimson Tide, who does have experience, but he doesn't have experience at OU. Don't forget, Mayfield and and uh, Murray each sat. They each got acclimated to OU in the system before they were thrown on the field. Jalen Hurts is not going to have that luxury, and Jalen Hurts is not going to have the luxury of working behind a veteran offensive line, which is what Mayfield and Murray had each of the past two seasons. Not to say the offensive line won't be talented. OU's recruited very well at offensive line. But you're missing four guys who were taken all in the top four rounds of the NFL draft last year. I I don't care if you've got an enormous amount of four- and five-star guys. That is difficult to replace. And those five guys now in this offensive line all have to be able to gel together. The good news is you may have the best center in America in Creed Humphrey, who is only a sophomore. But, man, there's a lot of new faces on that offensive line who are going to have to learn and learn very quickly. So you're sitting there and you're Lincoln Riley and you're like, okay, I got a new quarterback who, yes, sharp guy, has a lot of uh, playing time under his belt at a premier program. But at the same time, he's behind an offensive line that is very raw. And I've got a defense that – you know, has individual talent, but can they mesh? Can they finally put things together? That remains to be seen. So Lincoln Riley is as much as you're like, dude, I mean, by 35 years old, this guy's been to two college football playoffs, two Heisman winners, um, two number one draft picks. He's been rumored for NFL jobs. All of a sudden, 2019, I mean, you know, things can change quickly in this sport. And there's a reason Lincoln Riley's making six million bucks a year. He's making six million bucks a year because of the pressure that comes with it. And there will be pressure there. I still think OU's the favorite to win the Big 12. I'm not saying they're not. And I'm not saying to reiterate, I think Lincoln Riley's on any type of hot seat. But this is going to be um, the most intriguing year for Lincoln Riley because of the new faces on the field, the new faces on the sideline, and what that means for this program. And then if you're a fan base or if you're you know the head coach at a place like Iowa State, if you're Matt Campbell... If you are Tom Herman, if you're Gary Patterson, if you're Matt Rule, you're saying, hey, you know what? The gap between number one 
in this conference and numbers two, three, four, five, maybe six, that gap may be as small as it's been in a long time, in like half a decade. So you got to be licking your chops if you're any of these other teams in the Big 12 and saying, why not us? Why can't we pick off OU? And getting them early in the season would be best. Now, OU's schedule is more backloaded. Uh, in the last month of the season, they've got Iowa State, Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State. The Texas game is where it always is in the middle of October, but they get to start off conference play against a Texas Tech team at home that, you know, Matt Wells may surprise some people, but still, you're at home for that game, and uh, Tech does have a little bit of work to do on both sides of the ball figuring things out. Then you go to Kansas. So, you know, chalk up a W there, and then you've got the Texas game. So OU has five, six weeks to figure out the offensive line, but that's going to be the most intriguing part of this team in seeing how it can rebound and how it can keep the uh, you know Big 12 championship streak alive, which is what everybody in Norman wants. And frankly, let's be honest, everybody in Norman expects. No one's expecting anything else. Not right now, not at OU, not with what this team has done the past couple of years, how close they have been to getting over the hump and how they've recruited under Lincoln Riley, which to his credit has been better than how they recruited at the end of the uh, Bob Stoops tenure. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We wrap up the show coming up next. So I was asked an interesting question. I was a guest on the um, Sirius XM Big 12 channel last week with Gabe Eichert and Chris Plank, and I appreciate those guys having me on. But they asked me an interesting question about which one of the new Big 12 coaches is going to have the most immediate success. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Great to have you on board. And my answer was Matt Wells. I really think that Matt Wells, off the bat, has the most to work with at Texas Tech. First off, everything's about the quarterback in football now, right? And if you were to go down the new coaches at KU and Les Miles, K-State and Chris Kleiman, Matt Wells at Texas Tech, and Neil Brown at West Virginia, you can make an argument for Skylar Thompson if you want. You can do that. But for me, Alan Bowman has the highest ceiling of any of those four guys. I don't even know what KU is doing at quarterback yet. I, it's it's just still perplexing to me what the heck's going on there. And then West Virginia's probably got Austin Kendall, the OU transfer, but I don't know. I mean, Austin Kendall hasn't played meaningful football since high school at this point. That's a lifetime ago for these guys. So I, you know, I'm not convinced about that. Alan Bowman's a gunslinger, man, and it goes to show you, uh, for all of Cliff Kingsbury's flaws maybe as a head coach, man, that guy saw quarterback talent. He saw it when nobody else saw it. When Alan Bowman was a three-star guy coming out of Grapevine, Cliff Kingsbury said, yep, that's, that's my guy. Give me Alan Bowman. And, man, he's a tough SOB. He's smart. He's savvy. Yes, you hope his health is okay after the couple of injuries last year to the midsection, but man, uh, Matt Wells has got to be sitting here right now and saying, I get this guy. I, I This is my quarterback for the next three years because, let's be honest, he's not going to the NFL you know, in two years. I mean, that would be shocking if he was, but he's not doing that. But that's his quarterback for the next three years. 
And Alan Bowman, you know, rumors about whether or not he was going to transfer after Kingsbury left. No, he stayed put. He stayed put, man. And they got talent on that team. You talk about a stud guard and Jack Anderson, some solid skill position players, and a defense that is better than what was expected. Or better than it's given credit for is probably the best way to put it. When you have guys like Broderick Washington and Eli Howard in the line, and then, you know, decent linebacker play like Rico Jeffers, secondary hurts with Justice Parker uh, gone from the program. I mean, that hurts them a lot at Texas Tech. But either way, you know, there's more talent there than they're given credit for, which is something we got to talk about with this Texas Tech team. So I'm not making any massive predictions here for them. I'm just not going to do it. But, uh, but I'll tell you right now, of the four new head coaches, Matt Wells can have the most immediate success. Now, long term, I, I, I really like the potential of three of the four. I could not ask for a better Bill Snyder replacement than Chris Kleiman. Neil Brown's a guy who some people thought might wait a year for an SEC job to open up. Instead, he goes, you know what? I'll take this job at Morgantown. And I think if you give Neil Brown five years, this team uh, can be better. This program can be better than it was under Dana Holgerson. And, and I think Neil Brown's going to have a different strategy, too. I know West Virginia's always had the pipeline to Florida, try to keep as many in-state guys and Pittsburgh guys as they can. I think Neil Brown's going to keep it local. You know, every four- and five-star guy in West Virginia should be going to the Mountaineers, bar none. And then if you can pluck a couple of top-tier guys from the Pittsburgh area, and then if you're Neil Brown, go down to your stomping grounds in the Deep South. Try to find the under-recruited guys, the three-star guys that, you know, people aren't focused on that could, frankly, be four-star guys that SEC teams might be overlooking and you can put together a nice program. Dana Holgerson was brought in because of his ties to Texas, West Virginia coming to the Big 12, but it never really worked. I don't know why, frankly. I don't, I don't have the answer for why, but it never really worked. So Neil Brown's going to have a different strategy. I mean, he may go down to Florida if he knows the guys there, but he's not going to go down to Florida because West Virginia had a pipeline to Florida back in the Big East days. Under Bill Stewart. I mean, that's a lifetime ago in college football and college football recruiting. He is going to do it his way, and I trust that his way can work. I really do believe Neil Brown is going to do really good things at West Virginia. My biggest fear, if I was a West Virginia fan, would be him hanging around for the long term. Him not jumping at an SEC job one day. Because, you know, that, that is really, that's his neck of the woods. He grew up in Kentucky. He was an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Kentucky for a couple of years. So let's see. Let's see how Neil Brown does. But I think uh, the Big 12 in general should be excited for Neil Brown to be a part of this conference and for West Virginia to hopefully you know, build that program into what it can be under this head coach. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the website. Have a great week. We are inching closer and closer to the season. We appreciate each and every one of you joining us. Sign up for our free message boards. And don't forget, we'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie if you give us a rating, a review, subscribe, However you get your podcasts, we're on every platform imaginable. And then send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.